Hey there, Sean. Hey, Pierce. How's it going? It's pretty okay. All right. That means it's time for another episode of the It's Pretty Okay podcast. Let's do it. Let's start the show. So, uh, happy, happy Mardi Gras. We're, we're recording this on, on Tuesday. Mm. Um, alas, due to the, uh, due to the many, many issues that the United States Postal Service is currently facing just in general, not to mention the fact there's a gigantic winter storm that's basically enveloping half the country right now, um, a, a, king cake which i am very much looking forward to enjoying uh was supposed to arrive today and has has been slightly delayed um but uh i i learned something interesting today um so as i i think has been mentioned a couple times now i i i just moved in january uh from dc to richmond and in between when grad school ended for me and when I started my job, I spent some time at home in New Orleans and drove. That meant I had a car that could be loaded full of stuff. And at this point, you know, uh, almost any time that I'm home with the ability to haul cargo, uh, at some point or another, my parents or my grandparents have stuff that they're looking to get out of the house and so I wind up accumulating new stuff to quote unquote new stuff to to take back with me Uh, and that was fortuitous uh, this time around because my uh, my stereo speakers had crapped out and so it, it so happened that my parents have gotten into the whole Sonos ecosystem and had a pair of old like poke audio speakers that were no longer in use and hadn't hadn't been used really in their house for know, two years plus. And so we wrapped them in bubble wrap and sent sent me on my way back to Virginia with them. And I, obviously I knew they had been around for a while. But I learned today in a text message sent by my dad with a picture attached that, in fact, those speakers are older than I am. They were they were purchased sometime in late August 1989, hmm. um, which is uh, uh, about two and a half years before I was born. And that was pretty wild to me. Uh, I had a, a few a few different reactions, kind of all in in rapid succession. Um, one was that's like a neat thing to learn. Two was, man, those speakers really sound quite good for being thirty two years old. Three was, well, that's now certainly the oldest thing that I own. And four was, huh. That's 
sort of an interesting commentary on how the world has changed. Yeah. Because I was having serious trouble thinking of uh, of too many other things uh, that I have bought in the last, I mean, honestly, in the last five years, if not more, um, that was really kind of uh, marketed as something that was built to last. And that, it, when I had that thought, that's really weird because that used to be arguably like the number one selling point for anything was that it would, you know, be of good quality and last you a long time. Yeah, I, I think you're right in saying that it it maybe used to be that way. And, and in us discussing it, I've, I've tried to think here a lot about maybe what what runs counter to that. And we'll probably get to that at, at, at some point. But I mean, I think a good example of this is, Kevin, you and I both have cars that are about the same age. And as, as I kind of mentioned here last week, um, and we had a discussion a couple weeks before, we have both had to replace our the batteries in our car in the last couple of weeks. Those are things that are designed to eventually give out and we don't think anything of it. But there's, there's a bigger thing involved there because, you know, I think we've both paid off our cars. You have your, your five-year term or, or maybe you leased it first, whatever. But even with something like a car that is so central to much of an American's life, I mean, Kevin, have have you even had the thoughts? It's like, this thing has suited me very well, but there is wear and tear, and you stop thinking of maybe, uh, you know, repairing and more of replacing the whole the whole thing. Um, yeah, so my, my car is still running pretty well. It's just the Corolla. Uh, I got it because I had a long commute on the highway and wanted to just kind of wanted it to last me as, as, uh, as long as possible. But, you know, if, if I were to get into a situation where it, it was wrecked and maybe not quite totaled by the insurance company, but like close to it, um, I think I, I would like hesitate to fix it but that would be maybe because of the 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 pull of the fact that like car technology is changing and there's like you know hybrids electrics blah 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 um and so yeah i i do wonder if you know as, as cars do become like more electric um electronic um and electric motors i do wonder if it's going to be a little bit less like the you know drive the car into the into the ground yeah, and and there's an aspect you mentioned some of the the technology and and a term that is used now and it's kind of funny when you think of something like I don't know maybe maybe even a blender, the idea of future proofing, and cars and technology. I think Max, you're a good example because your car I think is a little bit older than Kevin's and and mine, um, and I remember there was a big to do with your car when I've got this phone this thing that goes in my pocket and has all this music on it, but I can't listen to the music from the phone in my car very easily because uh, these things are moving quickly. And I mean, that is so integral to the experience, not to focus on cars so much, but it's this relationship of things that that kind of, I think, messes with the whole uh, building to last relationship. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, definitely with 
the car example, it's like I always think about the um, the GPS that is built into the cars. Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, well, in, in three years, that GPS is going to be obsolete. And I feel like if you're just carrying a cell phone in your pocket with you anyway, you can get name your map app of choice and throw it on your dashboard. And I never understood why they would put like technology that's guaranteed to be obsolete in a few years into a car that they want to last longer. Um, I, I mean, as soon as Apple gets into the business of making cars or not gets into, but actually start selling cars because they're already in that business um they'll probably have something similar to the iphone you know paint payment plan right where you pay a monthly fee and they give you a new apple car every every year or something oh god um uh volvo i know volvo and some others actually do something like that uh, now it's like a it's like a lease where you can switch out the cars you just it's a you buy in but even not related to cars i think like technology in general like you said it does you do want it to kind of be able to communicate together and i think the phone example is a good one where it's like oh i want to be able to communicate through bluetooth so like for me i got a stereo receiver that had bluetooth built in because that was convenient to me but a stereo receiver i think similar to speakers is one of those things where an older one there's a good chance if you can find an older one it's it's almost certainly going to be of higher build quality and it may still actually function better. Receivers, maybe not so much, but 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 I still think so. And then certainly get into speakers and amplifiers and things like that. Audio equipment is kind of a fascinating world of its own. Yeah, I mean, Pierce, you mentioned the idea of like future proofing, and interesting. It was very interesting to me that the the thing that you mentioned, the item that you mentioned most closely to the concept of future proofing, is a blender, because every blender ought to be future proof because once the first blender was invented it could blend things and that's all a blender is ever supposed to be able to do you've clearly never seen a blend tech infomercial (laughs) where they blend multiple iphones together and then the guy goes iphone dust don't breathe this i don't think the first blender in the world could blend an iphone it's it's almost it it, shouldn't it it shouldn't and and i think the problem there is sean i I agree with you you know the idea of a blender uh, for the most part the idea of a speaker this is like these are things that have very specific functions it's a blade that that is in kind of this bowl thing and it's got a top and it blends it might have a couple speeds but that's a very much like you press a button that button is either on or is or it's off it's pretty binary but then you bring in something like oh i want to be able to set a timer on this or i want to be able to do that but via bluetooth or via wi-fi so i can do it while i'm at work it's the technology i think is soiling everything uh, yes you you've you've reached you've reached my the crux of my argument here he says on a podcast which is which is the idea that these these quote-unquote like improvements and future developments are really just like how, what are all of the ways that we can graft unrelated technology onto this thing that performs a function. No one, literally, I'm just, I, I, I know that speaking in absolutes is, is dangerous territory, but there has never, in the history of the universe, ever, and there will never, in the history of the universe, be anyone who truly needs a Bluetooth connected blender. It's just, yeah. 
it's, you shouldn't it's want not... to run your blender while you're at work. That sounds, right. that sounds dangerous. <laughs> right. Why should the, you want to timer, run your sous vide while you're at the, work? The, the, the timer that you, the only timer you need for the blender is your eyes or your ears or maybe both. Maybe taste buds. Well, you're probably not putting your your mouth to the blender itself. That's probably not ideal. But but any but yes, your your physical human senses. Uh, mm-hmm. That's maybe a better way to put it. Um, and, and and so so naturally, as soon as I've I've spoken in the absolute, I'm realizing that like you know there obviously there are, are people uh, who maybe do not have the full facility of their five senses and so i i was perhaps a, a tad rash and insensitive in saying there has never been anyone who would benefit from from the ability to to like control something like that without actually having to like look at and touch the physical thing itself but broad, broadly speaking i just think that you know uh, one, once you start getting into saying, well, the the reason, the reason that my microwave is, you know, new and desirable is that I can control it from my phone. Like, that's just that. That's not. I. That's not actually an improvement. It's not an improvement it's, to your microwave. Yeah. So I think one thing you've gotten to is that there is this focus, even for products that we think maybe don't need it but there's still this focus on integration and optimization integrating this with something else i mean the air fryers that are also the pressure cookers that are also the what have you and then it's all of a sudden portable too it's like we're we're optimizing something that we well apparently max likes this technology I just think there's a different thing between integrating technologies and making something capable of doing multiple things. You, I think you're, there you're, is an right. advantage to having an appliance that does three things in one if yeah. it doesn't make the appliance three times bigger. <laughs> right. Um, so, but adding like Bluetooth and other... I just Googled to see if, of course, smart blenders are a thing. There are Bluetooth-enabled blenders. And the description is that it helps you count calories. <laughs> and I just don't understand... <laughs> How? Yeah, I, but, but horror so, movie coming soon. Yes, yeah, Kevin. But with with that again, like, it, adding even adding uh, Bluetooth to Blender, even if you don't need the Bluetooth, like from from a basic sense, that does make the Blender, if not better, the same. However, the issue is is that as like things get more features on them. Like people don't want to pay more for a blender. Like they want to pay the same price, and so you know, usually like quality of things will go down. And you know, the, the Bluetooth blender is like a silly example, but like you know, I, I mean, yeah, I would argue, I would argue maybe like a, a different framing of that, which is that it it reinforces this idea that those unnecessary technological add-ons are actually necessary features. Uh, and so it's it's making things worse in that way, um, but uh, I mean, like there are Bluetooth, there are Bluetooth enabled toothbrushes. Like, what what are we what are we doing, guys? What so, are we doing? 
Well, so I realized I actually think I know what is going wrong because of the industry that I work in and because of some of the certifications I have in that industry. The problem, the problem is, and and hear me out here, the problem is, is the agile approach to to technology and everything, because the idea of agile is that you always have functioning software, in this case, a product. And the way that you you are constantly improving and constantly integrating that stuff and you have new releases constantly and you add new features and they're taking this a little too literally such that all that we're doing is we're taking the same thing and adding a little bit more and it might be unnecessary, but it is appealing to add features as long as the thing continues to work and do its its basic, you know, viability. Okay, but then before before we get before we get the six developers that listen to this podcast coming after us, yeah. The issue then is not the agile method itself; it's whoever decided the agile method is good for software development, so we must use it for everything. Oh, I know who that was. It was probably someone that I work with. <laughs> right. We're just gonna, so, so we're going to apply this across this. We our services are available for any company. I think. Yeah, it. I think you know, as as so many things are. Like this is this is an issue of it's an issue of systems and approaches, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, part part of this is like it's optimizing optimization. Yes. It's like, you yes. know, it's it's acceleration, it's you know, it's feet per second squared. We're we're multiplying, you know, we're we're squaring the speed. Um and so like you know, there there are undoubtedly applications in which that kind of method where you are constantly looking for ways to improve or you know, improve existing functionalities or add on new ones. Like that, that is absolutely, it is a useful, it is a useful framework for some things. And, and, and I, I don't, I don't think that should, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm saying we shouldn't like, it's not about the approach. It's about how people have used the approach Mm. and, and some, you know, some some wise guy had the idea that like the same approach that people use to you know developing and refining database software should also be used for toothbrushes, and so, like, toothbrushes are not the same as database software. Yeah, but but also I think that there's an issue of scale. Like you want to take your you know be it your uh I, I don't know one of the the cloud purveyors you or you are a toothbrush maker you want to provide what it is at scale and you want to do it obviously affordability so people are okay with buying it once and then maybe buying it more and, and i think the ultimate question here and i can go to something like l bean so i can go to max your your area of the house here and, and say I, I think there's a realization that like if we want to continue in in this uh, this place of you know 
we are we are doing things globally and we need to make sure we hit scale and and you know L. Bean a couple of years ago announced that they would not do their basically replacement policy if you had a defective good even after years of wear um, and and I just trying to think if if that's something we've abandoned and then the question is what is the incentive to building something that that lasts i mean i don't think there i don't think there is one i i mean yeah. you know not not to yeah. not to stomp in on on llb in corner but it's just like what it, what it hit me is like it's it goes even one level further up it's it's the reason that there's no incentive to build something that lasts is exactly what you said, Pierce. It's about mm-hmm. scale and particularly getting to scale quickly. Yes. Building something that lasts takes a little bit of time. It takes a little bit of process refinement. Like, you know, there's a certain level of like agile method that goes into like perfecting the blender, if you will. But but yeah. here's the here's the thing, and and Max, I, I see you think so. I'll let you do that by bringing this up. I do think that there are some things that don't benefit from that and need a more we have to have an end product that is basically perfect and get that out there um, there are some products that you don't want to replace I would say they're kind of heirloom products um, they might be a thing like let's use Patek Philippe's as an example a thing that I'll say there's a good chance that none of us will ever have but maybe we will um, those are things that their whole tagline is you, you buy this for the next generation but part of that is there's an heirloom quality to this this watch, and it is understood that it is a perfect good, and it doesn't even have any buttons. It might have some some features, some complications, but those complications are 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 manual technologies. Um, I, I mean, I guess you would call it that. But there's nothing digital a- about it. Um, another example, Max, um, again coming to main corner here. Um, Thomas Moser Furniture, which is something that is an established name. It is furniture. It is pieces of wood and sometimes fabric. Um, these are things that are built to last and are beautiful and can become heirlooms. Unfortunately, these are things that 99% of people cannot afford. Yeah, we've just, we as a, as a world have, have made it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper to make cheaper and cheaper stuff. Yes. So it gets cheaper and cheaper and cheaper to get a, you know, a, a crappy foldable chair sent to you from Amazon that was manufactured in China. Mm-hmm. But that Thomas Moser chair is only going up in price. Yeah. And you're paying for someone's labor and time, and you just set it yourself. I mean, no one can... Very few people can afford that. So the incentive to make stuff that lasts is just that you want to i guess uh, well, right and- who, who would have guessed that it was a, a thing where where what we're actually talking about is like a vanishing middle class yeah <laughs> like, exactly. you know <laughs> yeah, shocker, total shocker but like you know it's it's that there's we've like hollowed out the middle of the spectrum between heirloom luxury you know truly built to last you buy it for the next generation Patek Philippe is a really interesting example, given that apparently they are are like going to cease to make their most popular watch, the Nautilus. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, but like, but like Rolex. breaking news here. <laughs> but like you know, 
but, but Rolex is, is maybe a, a more kind of easily recognizable example for most people. Like something that you know to be a, a luxury brand whose, you know, whose value proposition is that to a, you know, on some level, they have perfected the making of the analog wristwatch. Yeah. And, and so, so that's one end of the spectrum. And then on the other end, you have fast fashion. You have T-shirts that you have to replace every year. You have the crappy chair from Amazon. You have, you know, the Quip toothbrush uh, and, and, and things like that because that end of the spectrum is for the, you know, the growth-obsessed culture that has, you know... Uh, kind of feeds in a cycle with all of the all of the rise and grind stuff that we we love to hate on this show and Mm -hmm. that has just like that end of the spectrum has grown so big that it's just like subsumed everything in its path except for like the rolexes of the world yeah and and yeah and i think then the problem yeah, it's yeah, and Max that is a prime example. You know, Kevin has not been soiled like us with with an, an Apple Watch, but but then you get this thing where uh, there's there's this economy of like we go out and buy an Apple Watch that's like four hundred dollars, and there are plenty of people that be like, what the hell? Why are you buying a watch? All it does, all it should do is tell time. Why does it cost four hundred dollars? It's like no, no, there are watches out there that cost thousands and thousands and thousands <laughs> of, of dollars, and they do indeed only tell time. But we're also thinking this is optimized. It is integrated with my other stuff, and it's like I. It, it does make me think in some ways. You know, Kevin, you talked about wanting to repair a car as much as much as possible within reason um you know i had the example earlier well actually it was in 2020 of my coffee grinder which i love uh busting and i wasn't sure what to do and i was able to send it back to baratza um and they were able to replace the parts but even when i'm doing that and it was great and i'm proud that they want something to last i'm kind of buying into doing my services with them which is not unlike a car in that it's built to last but we want you to come back because eventually some of the parts are gonna break yes Max. And, the, and i have to just say the way they handle that is so different than a lot of other modern companies i know a friend of mine had a has an expensive juicer um you know a multi-hundred dollar juicer and it broke and she contacted the company and they sent her a new one. And she just had to cut off the uh, cord, like the outlet, the plug to the old one and send it back to prove that she wasn't using the old one anymore. Because it's cheaper for them to send an entire new juicer and have the old one end up in the trash than try to fix it. Well, that's fascinating. I, I've never and heard coffee, of that coffee, before. Com- coffee machines are like the usual example of that, but I wanted to use something that's more expensive than a $20 that, coffee machine. That sucks. That's just wa- that's just waste. Like, this is going to end up, you that's know, in, in an ocean. Yeah, that is incredibly wasteful. But, like, you know, your Pierce, your experience with your, your coffee grinder, I think, is a great one. I, I as I, I think I sent a text about this recently, like, my, my over-ear headphones that I use for podcast recording, like, the ear pads wore out. And instead of, you know instead of saying okay well that means the headphones are done 
and and junking them and buying a new set of hundred dollar headphones i ordered replacement aftermarket ear pads and like found a youtube video that would you know kind of explain how to how to you know how to replace them yourself um and 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 i think that i think that the difference is that like there's no there's a difference between something being (sighs) something being built to last isn't and shouldn't be taken as an expectation that this thing is guaranteed to last forever or for 20 years or for 10 years in exactly the condition that you bought it in because that's not how anything works Mm -hmm. things that are made up of physical components physical components wear down over time they are susceptible to occasional accidents like you know if you have something that runs on electric power and you just have it plugged directly into a wall outlet and there's a, a thunderstorm with a big lightning strike. It is possible that a power surge could fry your components. Um, you know, uh, so even even things that are built to last sometimes need to be fixed. Yeah. But the idea that's there is that we're providing you something that's not meant to be like a consumable good and the like i don't know i just feel like every t-shirt i buy now is meant to be a consumable good like i'm gonna wear it out in 18 months and have to buy a new t-shirt and that sucks but you know i i I, I think one thing that you're making me realize is it sucks about the t-shirt but the thing is, um, and we, we certainly talked a couple weeks ago about like Everlane and Warby Parker and um, uh, uh, Allbirds, um, you know, and Kevin, I know that you have some, some connection with, with making products. I, I think that if you, if you have that, and even if you know that it's only going to last some months or, or some years, is it, maybe, is it maybe not necessarily that the product should last forever, but your loyalty to who makes the product is is what what you're going for. Because I know you've talked a lot about, you know, there there's a behemoth in an industry and people are interested in that. But you know, shifting loyalties and and that as a goal. I mean, I really like my Everlane T-shirts. Even if they wear out or get a hole in them, I want to buy more. I am now loyal to that purveyor, just like I'm kind of loyal to my coffee uh, grinder purveyor. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's, that's really what companies are going for. I doubt that companies are getting much profit margin on anything, but they're banking on everyone buying it and people buying it you know, over and over again. Like Apple, um, Apple kind of expects you to replace your iPhone every two to three years. It's not the most like durable product in the world because if they made it durable, then everyone would be like, oh, the other phone is like shinier. Um, so like they make this brittle product that then you put it like a big case on and the, the battery is expected to die. And it's just kind of like expected in the industry that your this product that you use all the time is like, is not going to last forever. Um, and it, specifically in electronics, there's like a lot of physical reasons that it's impossible for it to be that good um Mm -hmm. without like making it making it brittle so that kind of getting circling back a bit to the speakers is that like speakers are made with electronics that are um like old but they're not susceptible to like the laws of physics and as 
brittle of a way as like new digital electronics are. Um, so yeah, I think the idea now is that, that we, we said it also a bit, it's scale, it's selling a lot of things and selling it over and over again. Yeah. And, you know, Sean, to your point on the other end of the t-shirts or, or you know, the speakers or, or anything that, like that you make a good thing and maybe down the road you will get maybe a better version and you get more speakers. You go from a 2.1 to a 5.1 and you'll remember like, oh, I like poke for my stereo. I'm going to mm-hmm. do that for my surround sound system. On the other end of the spectrum, if you've got Hanes undershirts this year, you might buy Fruit of the Loom next year because then it's you're not really loyal to a brand you're loyal to a price point kind of to max's point earlier uh, yeah I, I so i i think that i think that maybe something something that i was thinking about when we're talking about customer loyalty is that like every every company that makes and sells anything wants customer loyalty if you didn't if you didn't want that you'd be very stupid mm-hmm. um but but there's uh, the only uh, something that's going to hook you in and you're going to buy, you know, five new T-shirts a year until you die is like that's one form of customer loyalty. Sure. But part of the reason that the next time I need to get stereo speakers, I will remember Poke Audio is that. Bef- my last speakers were Poke Audio, and they lasted for 15 years. And after that, I, you know, graduated to a set of speakers that had already been around for 30 years. Like there, I think, you know, we we've spent all this time talking about w- whether or not there is no incentive to build something that lasts. And I don't know. For me, if if every if every company was designing things only to sell them to me, I there would be a tremendous incentive to build things that last because that's something that I take a, a decent amount of stock in. Is like this is going to be reliable. Like the the seam on my t shirt is not going to bust when I wash it three times. Like that doesn't that doesn't inspire any confidence and make me want to buy more of those t-shirts. I mean, so. I guess with this, I just realized that my goal is to be able to afford something not only that, that lasts for me, but can last for someone else. And that's going to, it's going to involve vaulting some, some, uh, some tax brackets, I think, <laughs> you know, it it could or maybe it doesn't have to. I mean, the, you know, these speakers are not especially as expensive, and and mm-hmm. you know, maybe maybe this is a good place to put a bow on it. But you know, we we brought up we brought up watches a couple times, and we've talked about watches on this show before. And and I was, you know, I was like the, the person who was hesitant to get an Apple Watch because I thought, you know, you don't need to optimize everything. You don't need all this stuff on your watch, and you know now that i have an apple watch i i enjoy it and i i think there are times where i I like you know having having some of the notifications and the the taps and the beeps and and whatnot but like i i still have my good old-fashioned seiko mechanical watch and i've i've worn it the last two days and 
I really like it. And it's the kind of thing that, if properly cared for, can last for a really long time. And and maybe will not be something that, like, my grandchildren will wear someday. But, like, it's plausibly something that I think if I, you know, if I put some time into, you know, into caring for it and, and, and maintaining it and, and maybe, you know, fixing it if something, if some small thing breaks or, or, you know, more accurately for a watch, finding someone else who knows how to fix it, you know, I think it's plausibly something that I could hand off to my kids one day. And, and that's, that's something that's really appealing to me. And I think, I think it just bums me out that like, that's not, a, it doesn't seem to be a, a consideration for more people, or at least it's not a consideration that has gained a lot of traction in terms of like influencing what companies make and sell. I think that sucks. So the world should revolve around me. That's really where I'm going with this. <laughs> or maybe we should we should we should buy less stuff and more good stuff. No, come on, that can't be it. That definitely. Then can't what be would it. you do with your money? What would you stress about? Right. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, uh, now now that we've we've lamented the you know the state of you know modern commerce let's uh let's maybe move on and and uh make ourselves smile with a classic pierce sorry what are you apologizing for today so first off there is a pop quiz which is um in if you if you have a a liquid and you're told that you need a tablespoon of the liquid how many milliliters are in a tablespoon the correct answer is however many milliliters are in your measuring tablespoon. The number is irrelevant. You fill the tablespoon and that's it. So this this is not this is a little bit difficult and it is important <laughs> because when you're measuring when you're trying to measure by volume as, as you you may know a lot of the the units we use in America are not great but to to my point of the apology it is 15 milliliters I know this pretty well for a variety of reasons especially with baking it's good to use a scale we we you know, people appreciate scales. I, I, I certainly do. So when I went to the the local uh, liquor bottle type store, um, I knew I needed three tablespoons worth of Grand Marnier, which is kind of expensive, but they did have airplane bottles of it. So I went up to the counter and I said, hey, I need an airplane bottle of Grand Marnier. Now, I don't know how many milliliters are in an airplane bottle and they're behind uh, they're behind glass, uh, so I can't really go look at them or whatever. But I say to the, the sales associate, I say, hey, I need three tablespoons worth. And they're like, oh, well, this is in milliliters. I'm not sure what the equivalent is. And I say, this is this is where the problem lies. I'm sorry for not being confident because I said, uh, I'm pretty sure it's 15 milliliters to, to a tablespoon. And they go, okay, I'll check it. And they check it on their optimized phone for all of these things and, and conversions and whatever. And so they hand me two and I, I haven't looked at it. I'm like, okay, this is fine. So I'm with a different sales associate and I'm checking out, mind you, the Grand Marnier airplane bottles are like four dollars a pop so like this is 
you know, I can afford it, but it's a little bit expensive. And then at the last second, the sales associate being so nice and so helpful rushes over and says, actually, you need three. So I get back home. How many milliliters are in an airplane bottle? 50. 50. 50. How many airplane bottles of Grand Marnier do I have just sitting that may never be drunk or used at all? I'm guessing two. two yeah. Two. <laughs> well, if it's dinner for two, you got you have one to pair with your dinner. <laughs> and one for after. It's perfect. Um, uh, yeah, but so that is all to say, like, if you really know something it's okay <laughs> otherwise you're gonna be eight extra dollars on the whole for something you have no interest in consuming why didn't you just say you needed 45 milliliters of grand marnier <laughs> yeah. why did you have to put it on the sales associate this is a solid because i told them it's solid 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 if you knew it wait but wait, so my, i wasn't I, I wasn't no, confident. No, There's is, your answer, Max. Max is right. No, Max is yeah. totally right about this. You yeah. just offloaded your <laughs> non-confidence. It's my fault. Yes, yes it's my. I, I can see it. It is my you. fault. They were being so helpful, and I was not confident. And I could have made their life easier. I could have made my life easier. But instead, I was, you know, a, a bumbling mess about it. It's so, interesting that they looked it up. There is also another yeah, well, way. Yeah, well, they got it. They got it. They got it wrong. But I got it wrong first. <laughs> I was the problem. You know, well, there's all. But there's also another way that you could have made this work more smoothly beyond just being more confident when you said 15 milliliters to a tablespoon. Like you have an optimized phone. Yeah, too. I do. <laughs> like you could have. You could have done that four seconds of research before you went to the store. But look, it's it's not all bad because Grand Marnier could really step up a margarita. So, oh, so I, I think desserts like, use it too, I think. Uh, it, I it was that. actually used for um, a blood orange cake from uh, Claire Saffitz's dessert person just make two more of those yeah i I, I probably i probably will but also i like grand marnier so maybe i'll have it but then i'll drink it by myself watching like uh you know a kurosawa movie which is usually when i have it so you're really sorry you you didn't just buy a fifth of (laughs) it's very expensive you are inventing problems that you have already solved for yourself (laughs) i i know but anyways did did you did you measure out 45 milliliters or did you just put the extra five in from the yeah, what bottle. did you do with those five milliliters uh the five or, milliliters or, i think were left or in as the we have been told one third of a tablespoon that's that's a teaspoon for those of you uh who, who are in the know good you passed the pop quiz <laughs> i i have a scale i know all of these things <laughs> oh this is delightful um okay well, my, my spirits are back up, which is which is great. <laughs> spirits, um, <laughs> oh spirits! <laughs> wasn't even planning for it, man. This is this is rapidly morphed from from one of our more uh, old man yelling at cloud podcasts into one of our sillier, more delightful podcasts. I love it. Um, well, let's let's close the show with a big idea from pop culture, and. Uh, I don't. I don't know if you know this. Honestly, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know by now that I'm a dork. Um, and uh, in my in my dorkitude, 
I, I tend to keep tabs on some some websites that are, are producing stuff that's pretty geared towards dorks. And uh, one of those is a site called The Pudding. The Pudding is a site that is dedicated to um, data journalism, but pretty uh, kind of more specifically data journalism uh, that is presented in a very well-designed visually appealing way and uh so so like one of the forms that that has taken recently is like an an examination of how uh uh examination of how uh minorities and women are represented or perhaps more accurately not represented in crossword puzzles and it's this whole big interactive thing that involves like little mini crosswords that were designed specifically uh, for the purpose of, of illustrating the point. And I thought that was really cool. Uh, but one of their latest endeavors that I, I have quite enjoyed is called the Live Music Jukebox. And what they did is assembled uh, some sort of algorithmic process to take... A, a large number of artists and uh, and and go through some portion of their musical catalog and figure out whose live recordings are the most or the least different from the studio recordings of those same tracks. And so it's based on uh, it's based on characteristics like tempo. Um, you know things that are are more kind of objective, um, but it's also based on things that are a little more subjective, like energy level. And and I just thought it was really cool. And and you can like scroll through this thing, and there's like a big database that you can kind of search through and find an artist that you like, and listen to snippets of like the version of "Let's Go Crazy" from Purple Rain versus the version of it on. A Prince live recording. I just think that, like, you know, the fact that that somebody is putting something like that together is really neat, and it easily took up forty minutes of my time. And so I'll put a link in the show notes because I have a feeling that some of you guys are probably dorks too and would enjoy it. So, the pudding live music jukebox is a a thing that is worth a few minutes of your time. Mm-hmm. That is the end of the show. You can find us at our home on the web, www.prettyokpod.com, where you can subscribe to the feed on your podcast app of choice. If you do that, please leave us a rating, review, comment, that sort of thing. Just tell a friend about the show. We'd love to share it with them as well. We'll be back next week to talk about something else. Until then, I'm Sean. I'm Pierce. I'm Max. I'm Kevin. Build for tough. Thanks for listening. Bye.